Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. My name's Joe Loveless. Uh, my wife, uh, Katie, and my boys, Miles, Owen, and Judah, we've all been uh, a part of the campus here for about a year. So it's a pleasure to get to be with you this morning. Uh, Chris asked me to teach this morning because he and a team of people from here are all in Belize. You're here and it's raining, and they're in Belize. Uh, 17 years ago, uh, I took a team of middle school students uh, to the jungles of Belize. Now, if you're going to take a group of middle school students outside of your house, you need to have a plan. So I had plans. I had contingency plans. I had contingency plans for my contingency plans. Uh, And especially if you're going to convince a group of parents to allow you to take their middle school students into the jungle, you got to have a plan. Apparently it was a good enough plan or at least a good presentation. Uh, so there we were, we flew into Belize City, uh, and then we took dugout canoes. We partnered with a mission organization there that was building relationships uh, with different indigenous tribes there in Belize. And we got in these dugout canoes and we went two to three hours upriver to a particular village. And the goal for that day is we were going to share, we were going to give them supplies, we were going to share the gospel. Uh, and while we're there, the village is about Uh, 200 yards up on this hill. And so we start a fire line up where all the kids are lined up and we are having supplies go up all the way to the top. I'm at the top of this hill where the village is and I hear this fight break out. Now when you're an indigenous tribe and you hear a fight break out, you look for your spear. And I'm looking around, I go to the edge of the hill to see where the fight is, and I expect to see warring tribes that are, are, are now, you know, gathering at the river. Instead, I see two middle school boys on our team fist fighting one another in the river like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. I run down there, I grab both of the boys by the collar, I give them the old, what in the world are you thinking? This is not the love of Jesus. And in that, uh, I find out I planned for everything possible except, ah, of course, I did not have a contingency plan for the pretty girl and who, which boy was going get, to get next to sit next to her in the canoe. I say all this to bring up multiple points. One, you'll notice they have not asked me to be the student pastor of Horizon West. And it's probably for the better. Uh, Two, you notice there is a team in Belize and they did not ask me to go with them and join them on the journey. Uh, And three, you can be praying for them uh, this week. But it's also a good reminder that no matter how many plans we try and set up, no matter how many ways we try and seek out the right direction to have everything in place, the world still hits us in the face. And when we get hit in the face and when you read through Scripture— When everything seems to be crumbling around, Jesus reveals a new name about who he is. He says things like, I am the light of the world. 
I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus gives us these names as, as wayfinders. That when the world is spinning around you and the wolves are at your door, it's comforting to know that he is the good shepherd. These names act like a table of contents. If you know these names, you'll know what he is like. I love to read. I love to read so much, I read books about how to read better. And if you read one of these things, you'll learn that most of us, when you read, you read the front cover, and then you open it up, and then you dive into chapter one. But one of the best ways to read a book is to go to the table of contents and to read and understand what is the author trying to tell me about the story or the promises of this book. And with the names of Jesus, we get the same thing. As you begin to understand these different names, you, un you get a greater understanding about the overall story or promise that he's making to you and I. In the verse we're going to look at today, we get a three-for-one special. He's going to give us three names in one verse. And what we'll discover in these names, if we don't gloss over it because it's too familiar, or if we don't ignore it because it's too bold, is Jesus can provide the practical direction that you're looking for. He can provide the truth that you crave because you don't know who to trust anymore. And he can provide the fullness of life that's evaded you for a lifetime. Oh, and he knows that you and I struggle to take him at his word, so he gives us an opportunity to test and to try out his ways and to see the fruit from our life. So, if you would, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. If you brought your digital Bible, you can bring that up as well. We'll also provide it here uh, on the screen. Uh, we'll notice in the context, before we look at John 14, we'll notice if you think about the lives of the disciples, Jesus, of course, comes in and he says, follow me, follow me. These guys get lost every once in a while. He reminds them, hey, stay on the path, follow me. Interestingly enough, in John 13, Jesus just finished washing the disciples' feet. He's getting ready to tell them that he is getting ready to leave. And he says, uh, hey guys, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Insert record scratch, sound effect. But where I am going, you can follow later. Now, this is extremely disconcerting. These guys, before, their lives were going nowhere. And when they found themselves following Jesus, their life suddenly came alive. They were nobodies with no adventure and very little purpose. And this gave their life meaning and adventure and excitement. And they could not imagine now a life not following and being with Jesus. So Jesus knows he needs to comfort them. So John 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to be with myself. That where I am, you may also be. And you know the way where I'm going. I love it. Thomas speaks up. We call him Doubting Thomas. He's just honest, Thomas. He's thinking what you and I are thinking. Lord, we don't know where you're going. And if we don't know where you're going, we don't know how to get there. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip steps up and says, guys, let me give this a try. Lord, show us the father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does these works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me or else at least believe on the account of the works themselves. You've heard my words, but at least, at least look at my historical track record. See what I've done and look at the fruit from your life. Jesus makes a very exclusive claim about being the way, truth, and life. That's also a very inclusive claim. No one can come to the Father, which also means everyone can come to the Father when you begin to walk in his ways and see him as truth. The question is, why did Jesus provide these three names now? Right? Anytime in Scripture, when Jesus reveals one of his names, he's actually trying to speak to the specific moment about what's happening, and he's trying to reveal a part of himself. You see, in this moment, Jesus knew that when he was going to be no longer physically present, his disciples would find someone else or something else to follow. With Jesus no longer physically present, there would be a gap, there would be a longing created that they would try and fill when he was missing. So I think in these three names, Jesus is trying to unpack three longings that was for the disciples and was for you and I. We're going to look at each one of those. So the first one he dives into, he says, I am the way. And I believe he's speaking to our longing for practical direction. I'm not proud to admit it, but I'm a follower. I've read lots of books on leadership. I've held numerous leadership positions, but when I look at the track record of my life, I'm a follower. I drive the same car that 10,000 other people do in Winter Garden. I've got the same checks on my shoes that most of you do right now. I have the same phone in my pocket that many of you have, even though when I bought this phone, they told me I was a pioneer. Uh, I do, uh, I work in marketing for a tech company. When I'm working on new strategies, you know what the first thing I do is? I go look up what are other people doing? How can we mimic what's working? I go to conferences to hear what other people are saying so I can do what other people are doing. Anyone else human like me? We love direction. Do you find yourself willingly or unwillingly influenced by influencers? I mean, how many times this week alone have you literally or metaphorically hit the follow button? We're on an endless quest for direction. And we live in an era where every person and company and news outlet promises that they can give us direction. Yet it often leads to debt and disillusionment and chaos. See, true direction can't be found in the philosophies of this world, but only by aligning ourselves with something that is beyond it. This is where Jesus comes in and speaks this profound promise. I am the way. 
The disciples faced with the departure of Jesus found themselves at the brink of despair and full of uncertainty. And Jesus doesn't just hand them a road map. He says, I am the road. He doesn't just say the door's over there. He says, I am the door. Knock. Where are you longing for practical direction? A decision that you're making, whether big or small, you've got a question mark about. Could be related to your job. Could be related to your marriage. Could be related to a a car decision that you're trying to make this week. Jesus would like to help you the way. I challenge you this week to reflect on an area of your life where you feel either lost or uncertain. And how might Jesus, as the way, change your approach to that challenge? Second thing he tells us, he says, I am the truth. And in this, I believe he's, he's looking to satisfy our longing for what's real. Truth is hard for us, isn't it? We're wired for direction, and then we test to see if each one of those ways, which way is actually true. And the reason why truth is so hard for us is because we have been lied to before. Now, some lies, they don't mess us up so much, right? Your 16-year-old comes to you, and you know they procrastinate and haven't written anything. An hour later, they come back with a 10-page paper that reads like Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote it. You're not surprised to learn that it was ChatGPT. You go on Amazon and you buy something for less than $10 and it arrives two weeks later from Bangladesh and you open the box and it looks like nothing what you ordered. You're not so surprised, are you? This Christmas, this is a note for the men in the room. uh, This Christmas, I went and tried to buy my wife some dresses on Amazon for Christmas. The women in the room already know this. They're already groaning. Oh no, don't do it. It doesn't work. And sure enough, it looked nothing like the picture. I struck out this Christmas, folks. I was 0 for 6 in the, in, the, in the present department. Those sorts of things don't surprise us. But when we're lied to, when someone we trusted who was a source of direction lies to us, it'll take a person out. About 10 years ago, I had that happen to me. I learned things about a a person that I I trusted for direction that presented another reality about that person's life that I wasn't aware of. And when trust is broken, truth starts to feel really difficult. For me, it it knocked me on my back. Because you start to go, all right, if this thing is not true, then I need to verify that all of these other things, either around this person's life or just around life in general, isn't a lie. Have you ever been lied to? It's disorienting. That's why our lead punch isn't trust. I mean, it was when we were kids. I mean, when you're a kid, this is why you say things like, don't take candies from strangers. The idea is that you're very trusting, but as we get older and we experience more lies, we no longer lead with trust. Instead, our first lead punch is skepticism. Skepticism leads to cynicism, and cynicism leads to hopelessness. 
Cynicism is this constant distrust in the motives of everyone and everything. When distrust becomes the default, you and I can't accept truth. You maybe have heard people say the phrase, we live in a post-Christian culture, because it's, it's more uncommon. And a lot of what people mean is we live in a post-truth culture, because truth has become a personal construct instead of an objective reality. It's a defense mechanism against being lied to. It's a defense mechanism against pain and confusion. You might have some of that defense mechanism in you. But the problem with truth becoming a personal construct or truth being what I say it is, is I know that I'm unreliable. I used to hate pizza. I love pizza now. I used to hate country music. Come on, give me some country music all day now long. So we have an unreliable person trying to establish his own truth in a world full of chaos that's lacking direction. What could go wrong? This is why Jesus speaks this profound promise to you and I. And he says, I am the truth. The disciples lived in a culture where truth was as contested as it is today. And Jesus doesn't present himself as one truth, but as the ultimate reality. When Jesus says he is the truth, he doesn't merely mean he's the source for good information. He means he's the deep reality of God's plan for the world, his nature and his love for us. This isn't a statement to believe. It's a reality to be experienced and lived out, transforming every aspect of our lives. Skepticism is interesting because It's the seed that leads to hopelessness. However, skepticism is also the road that leads to wisdom. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents. My wife and I, we call it uh, chew the meat, spit out the bones. Watch a movie with our kids. We say, all right, we're going to watch this movie. We're going to chew the meat and we're going to spit out the bones. However, skepticism can turn into cynicism when skepticism becomes habitual distrust for us. This can be due to repeated disappointment, perceived betrayal, or the continuous observation of the discrepancy between what people say and what people do. And over time, if skepticism about specific claims or situations generalizes to a broader distrust and regular negative expectation, it evolves into cynicism. And the problem is, is cynicism hinders openness to a genuine understanding and truth as an absolute. So where are you longing for truth? What's one area of your life where relativism where cynicism is trying to take root? How can you commit to exploring how Jesus' truth can transform your perspective? Third thing he says, he says, I'm the life. He satisfies our longing for vitality of spirit, both today and for all eternity. You know, despite having more resources, more freedoms, more technology at our disposal than any other generation, 
A genuine sense of abundant life feels more elusive than ever. We've got more stuff, we got less life. You ever had a financial finish line that you moved? Me too. What you thought was enough wasn't. The problem for most of us is when we think about abundance, we, we can't get it out of our brain. We think about abundance or fullness, we think about things. Abundance isn't an overflow of junk. Abundance is an overflow of spirit. It's a waking up with a fullness of hope. Can you imagine waking up every morning and the first thing you feel is hope instead of despair? Jesus walks into the scene and he says, I am what living looks like. In contrast to the narratives of self-fulfillment and personal gratification, Jesus provides a counterexample of life that's constructed of sacrifice and of community and of mercy and of love. This doesn't diminish who we are. This actually fulfills it. By disconnecting myself as God and connecting myself to something that is beyond me, I am then able to connect to the greater story and larger narrative of hope brought about by a life in God. That's why Jesus steps in with the profound promise, I am life. The disciples were just like us. They lived in a culture obsessed with power and achievement and physical experiences and what we might call tangible definitions of success. But abundant life is rooted in the intangible. It's a life characterized not by something outside of you, but by something inside of you. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the good stuff. Where are you longing for life? Where are areas of your life where you feel drained or lifeless? And how might Jesus' promise of life speak and breathe fresh wind into those spaces? So he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He gives us these three things and then he gives them something at the end. He realized the disciples are having difficulty to take Jesus at his word. And so the fourth thing for us to notice is he gives us an opportunity to prove out that he is who he says he is. He satisfies our longing to test out his ways to see that his fruit is good. You see, for some of you, hearing a reaffirmation that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life is encouraging and it's an easy amen. And that is a wonderful place to be. You take him at his word. But for some of us, trust is really hard to come by. Maybe because of what you've experienced in the past, you wholeheartedly don't trust Jesus. Or perhaps worse, you half-heartedly trust Jesus. And Jesus being the way, the truth, and life is another part of a diversified portfolio. You're seeking out different promises of abundance from multiple sources. I've had trust broken, and it makes belief in Jesus hard. 
When I had trust broken 10 years ago, I wanted to believe in God, but I couldn't. My heart moved from skepticism to cynicism. It was like I was from like a 30,000 feet. You're watching what's happening within you and you cannot stop it. If you're coming from a place of faith and moving through a season of skepticism, they call it deconstruction. It's a fitting phrase. Because I deconstructed all the way down to not having any foundational beliefs whatsoever. Okay, if that's a, not true, I need to verify everything else is not a lie and you take out every single piece till you are without any foundation. Everything was up for grabs and I was left with myself. I tried pulling out Excel spreadsheets, going through the Bible, going through every promise within Scripture, and then I tried to use Scripture to verify those promises, and I couldn't trust it. Cynicism is agnosticism. It's an endless cycle of asking questions of life and continuously distrusting the answer. So maybe after a year, two years of this, I'm, I remember being in bed one night, and I'm trying to go to sleep. My wife's reading, she has the light on. And she had been through a similar journey, but she lifted out of it much faster than I did. And she lovingly nudged me that night and she said, are you done yet? You know, I used to think that, that people who fall into cynicism, that it was a choice. And if I look back at my own experience, I, I don't know that's true. I used to have a level of self-righteousness to those who are highly cynical. You just need to believe. But when trust has been broken, you have this cycle that happens on you. I think cynicism is something that because of distrust, it, be, it does initially happen to you. However, when she said, are you done? It was the strong reminder that uh, it is still up to the cynical to make a decision to move forward. At that time, uh, my sons were eight, five, and two. I was going to be responsible for raising and equipping them with a framework that would help them flourish in the world. So I looked at everything. I looked at all of the different frameworks that could potentially lead to flourishing life. And I looked at my life and I asked the question, at what points in my life had I experienced the most intangible abundance? I looked at friends of mine who were also filled with skepticism and cynicism and I looked at the fruits of their life without a clear foundation. The fruits of a life where truth, where their own truth was at the center and the intangible fruits of their life looked like hell. And it quite literally scared the hell right out of me. I looked at myself and I noticed any fruit that I had remaining in me, any good things, was only from reflection of the traits that I had learned to emulate from Jesus. The disciples had a bit of skepticism, so Jesus says, Believe me, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. I get it. If you can't believe me, believe what you see. These works. Look at my historical track record. He said, look at the fruit of my life. Look at the fruit from your own life. Look at the fruit from other people who are following me. 
No, not the people who confess with their mouth. Look at the people who are obeying my commands, who when they are obeying my commands, when they are mimicking my lifestyle, what is their fruit? I looked for a way, a truth, and a life. And logically for me, the evidence was clear. It was Jesus. But did that move me to belief again? No, not yet. You see, it's an interesting order that he places it in. He says, I am the way, then we get truth, and then we get to life. It's as if he's saying, walk the way of Jesus first. Then you will see the fruit from your life that he is the truth. And as a result, you will experience life. This is not a works-based faith. This is faith that is fueled by recognizing the abundant life experienced by those who obey his commands and walk in the way of Jesus. This was true for me. I began walking his ways again, and by his grace, it turned into experiencing the truth, and that truth has led to life. Matthew 7, 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bears bad fruit. Look for the fruit and you'll find the life. And then build your life on that way. Then in Matthew 7, 24, every then who he, everyone who hears these words of mine, who hears them, and then does them. Not just who hears them and says, yes. Everyone who hears them and does them, they will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the storms of this world come crashing in, they stayed firm. But those who build their foundation on truth is what I believe that it is. When the storm comes in, fall away like the sand. Jesus says, walk like me, check the fruit of your life, and celebrate the abundance. It's true. Jesus can provide the practical direction that you're looking for. Jesus can provide the truth that you crave because you don't know who to trust anymore. And Jesus can provide the fullness of life that's been evading you. Oh, and he knows you're going to struggle with it. So his challenge to you is, try walking out my ways. So there were three questions of reflection that we looked at. And we're going to throw them back up. And I would challenge you this week to find some time to sit with one of these. Where do you need Jesus as the way? Where are you longing for practical direction? Reflect on the areas of your life where you feel most lost or uncertain. And how might understanding Jesus as the way transform that? Where are you longing for truth? What's one area of your life where relativism, rel relativism or skepticism or cynicism is taking root? Commit to exploring how Jesus as truth could transform that. And where are you longing for life? Where is an area of your life where you feel drained or lifeless? And how might Jesus' promise of life speak into those spaces? Why don't you pray with me?
Jesus, thanks for not leaving me alone in the ocean left with uh, my own thoughts. Truth's hard because we get stuck in our minds and I'm grateful that you help us get out of our minds and into our bodies and you say, take some action. Follow the way. And see what happens. So Lord, for those of us that have been stuck in our heads, help us to get out of our heads and onto our feet and to start taking action. Lord, for those of us as we have face some big decisions or medium ones or small ones and we've been trying to figure it out on our own and we have our own excel spreadsheets out and we're trying to make big decisions help us to see you as the way to lean in for guidance and where to go lord thank you for your truth thank you for the gift of life now and for all eternity and thank you for your mercy in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.